When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to uh, another day of, of the COVID-19 update. And you know, early on in this whole mess, I felt like I was maybe shortchanging some of my listeners, some of my viewers, because I was just covering COVID-19. And this was, uh, well, you know, relatively early on. Um, and, and now it's, it's, it's hard to see myself talking about anything but COVID-19 and its implications for for the economy, for the financial system, etc. And that's what I want to try and focus on today. Now, I've tried that in the past, and I've not always found the best success because I'll go down rabbit holes of talking about such and such. That that more so is about the disease and, and the spread of the disease itself versus the economy, I think. I mean, the two... You, you have to understand the first to also understand the implications on, on the latter. But... I'm going to do my very best. So just, you know, quick updates for for today. I'm, I'm recording this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, you know, some of the big news items, uh, the Tokyo Olympics um, are, are going to be postponed for one year. Japan finally said, well, okay, fine. You know, you, could, you guys can have your way. Um, Trump's been, been sort of toying with the idea of potentially, I don't know what you'd call it, reopening up the economy, taking off some restrictions. Uh at some point in the relatively near future, um, to to prevent some major collapse of the economy, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that today. Uh, the U.S. yesterday reported the largest jump in COVID nineteen cases and deaths. Um, furthermore, the U.S. Uh, Congress is is potentially getting closer to a a uh, a deal on a stimulus package. Of, of some sort. Of course, yesterday we were having some trouble with it because of the fact that, well, Democrats essentially controlled the Senate for, for a while and, and sort of still do because there's so many GOP senators that are out because they're being quarantined or have tested positive for COVID-19. Crazy world we live in today. Um, and we're about three minutes away from market open here in the United States. And if Dow futures are, are any indication, S&P futures, uh, it's going to be sort of a limit up or at least limit up in the futures markets. Uh, big move to the upside, uh, likely to happen as markets open. And of course, we'll, we'll circle back to that in a couple of minutes once they do open just to see what actually happens. Now, of course, you know, 5% up in, in the S&P or, or the Dow is, is great and all. And, and who knows if it'll be sustained or not, but it's, it's, it's following a massive collapse, a historic collapse in stock market valuation. To put it in context, the Dow Jones was flirting with 30000 uh, a little over a month ago. February, I think, was the February 19th, I want to say, was the high, right? Uh, it was, you know, north of 29000 we're probably around 29,500, 29,400 in that ballpark. Uh, at close yesterday, it was at 18,591. 
and it's a stunning historic collapse in the stock market and 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 that is also paired with massive unemployment right now massive levels uh massive rise in unemployment here in the United States because so many states including the federal government and and some of their guidance uh, have, have essentially told people to stay at home, don't go to work. I have personally seen this more at the state level, uh, where where state by state they're sort of deciding what they want to and what they don't want to keep open. So, for example, uh, as of right now, although I expect it to change very soon to a more restrictive state, uh, Minnesota, you know, my home state, is is uh, you know closing um, a lot of of walk in places. Uh, walk-in restaurants. I think probably cinemas are closed. I want to say hair salons, nail salons, you know, that type of stuff. But, you know, drive-thrus are open. Um, and, and if I remember, I think uh, I think a lot of other stores might be open still. Obviously, like Walmart and, and Target and whatnot. But but uh, I, I believe that maybe some other, you know, just clothing stores. Might, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I you know, don't go to clothing stores all that often. Uh, but, but then right across the border in Wisconsin... They're moving towards a no non-essential workplaces should be open type of situation, right? So, obviously, emergency responders. Uh, uh, if you're working in you know an essential industry, uh, power, light, gas, uh, telecommunications, healthcare, um, you know those types of things, you can go to work. But otherwise, they're shutting everything else down. If you're if you're a factory that manufactures widgets or whatever. Uh, not today. I, I would assume that it's probably the same is true for things like drive-throughs and 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 restaurants that are still open for for takeout, right? Those types of situations. And 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 by the way, the markets are just opening now, and it is sort of a big move to the upside over a thousand points in the Dow Jones. We'll see how that you know plays out over the day uh, as the day progresses. But as I said, this huge drop off in in the stock market is paired with this huge rise in unemployment. Millions of people across the country are now receiving fewer or no hours and thus no income because of the actions taken against this COVID-19. And and, I'm, and this isn't so much, for, from my perspective right here, is not so much me going to be arguing this is extremely damaging to the economy and people should go back to work very soon and we should not shut down the economy to prevent the spread of uh, of COVID nineteen, the SARS CoV two virus. That's it's not really my perspective on this whatsoever, and I think that shouldn't come as any surprise if you've listened to a couple of my last, couple of my past podcasts. You know, when when I see Trump toying with the idea of opening the economy back up again, you know, potentially because he's listening to the likes of of you know some have said I think Larry Kudlow and some other people that are saying just that. I think it's a really dangerous idea at this point um we're, we're we're still i think quite a ways away from that i think if anything right now we should still be focused on making sure that social distancing is is effective and widespread because i'm not convinced that it is uh, but i think it's also an incorrect assumption to to assume that our our our, mar- our market troubles and our economic troubles right now our, our monetary troubles as well or a direct result from the virus and from people not going to work 
I mean, you have to understand that the duration of this thus far has been relatively short. And I get it. There's a lot of people living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. I get that. And, and because of this, they won't be able to make their rent payments or, or, or mortgage or some other debt payment. I, I, I get all of that. Now, granted, federal government and many state governments are willing to help. They're willing to have a grace period, all of that. Okay, we have to understand that as well. Okay, but the duration thus far has been relatively short, a period of a couple weeks at most, less in some places and for some workers. Ultimately, what, what people, the markets are you know, potentially pricing in is a, a, a longer and longer extension of this lockdown when it progresses in many, many weeks, potentially months of, of people not going to work, not going to school, not traveling, etc. However, What's happening right now in the financial markets, the stock market, what's happening right now in terms of monetary policy, the U.S. dollar, precious metals, all of that, is, I would, I would argue, more so a symptom of this massive bubble that existed up until, again, a little over a month ago or roughly a month ago, than it is people having to stay home from work or people not traveling as much. I get it. You know, airlines are struggling. Cruise ship companies are struggling. I get all of that, right? And, and I get that, you know, oil producers, shale oil here in the United States, etc. Um, they're going to be struggling as well. Many of them will probably go out of business unless they receive a bailout because of low oil prices. But ultimately, when I see the Federal Reserve stepping in, as the, I don't, even, I don't think lender of last resort is a strong enough term to, to describe what they've done over the past few weeks, stepping in in a, in a manner that surprises even me with the swiftness and the, the um, extent of their action over the past few weeks in terms of providing up to trillions of dollars of liquidity for the short-term funding markets. Right for all this talk about this recent QE or Q eternity, as as I think Sarah Hedge called it, um, let's not forget that it was only a week or two ago that we were talking about trillions of dollars worth of uh, uh, liquidity for short-term funding markets for for the repo markets ultimately. Trillions, right? Hundreds of billions was not enough. Trillions. Uh, that is in addition to, you know, countless uh, alphabet soup programs that they've undertaken to support uh, you know, money market funds and, and various other forms of, of the financial system, basically provide them with liquidity, provide them with cash. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. As of yesterday, um, the Fed has stepped up their, their asset purchases, quantitative easing, which we knew was quantitative easing all along. I mean, this what, what people have to understand, if, if you're just coming onto the scene in this economic business, the Fed was in the business of buying up these assets long before, like, yesterday or the past couple of weeks. I'm not, I'm not even talking about the quantitative easing. That's where the Fed, you know, the quantitative easing, that's where the Fed prints money, creates money out of thin air to buy assets. Generally, in the past, it's been uh, uh, federal debt, treasury bonds, and mortgage-backed securities, right? Securities that are basically backed by mortgages of, of the United States. In theory, they're, they're soaking up the supply of some of that debt, 
bringing down rates, providing liquidity to the system by doing that quantitative easing. They, they started that quantitative easing a number of months ago before anybody had even termed the coin COVID-19, before this was really on the scene or maybe just starting to, to spread in, in China. Nobody really knew about it in, in a broader sense. Totally unconnected. But, but now they're ramping that up to an even greater extent. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars that the Fed is planning to buy in terms of QE, basically unlimited, and they're extending it to, and maybe not unlimited, but it's going to move closer and closer to that. Um, In addition to to mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds, they're also skirting some rules on, on what they can and can't purchase in order to buy corporate debt. And, and if you don't understand maybe the problem with that, I'll, I'll help you out here. Um, federal debt is one thing. Buying U.S. treasuries. Well, I mean, we, we know that the Fed is an enabler of higher deficits. The Fed is going to do whatever they can to monetize that debt, to keep rates low. And they have for like the last 10 plus years through these open market operations, through this quantitative easing. Mortgage-backed securities. That was a bit of a holdover from... Uh, from the financial crisis continues to stay. They still hold a ton of mortgage-backed securities. And and I guess the theory behind that would be not only providing liquidity, but you're also providing it in a way that maybe helps the average American because if they're soaking up that supply, that's going to bring down rates of mortgages. Banks are going to be more willing to lend if they have fewer of these, I don't know, risky mortgages on their balance sheet or, or what have you. If they have the backstop of the Fed, the Fed can always buy those mortgage-backed securities in, in the bank's mind. But when you move into the realm of corporate debt, well, what that means is that you can have um, a bank out there that decides to lend to Company A. Now, Company A, as it's rated, you know, as of maybe a month or two ago by you know, S&P, Standards and Poor's, Standard and Poor's or Moody's, you know, these, these big debt rating agencies, they may be on the cusp of what you'd call junk bond status, but technically speaking, maybe still investment grade, and, and therefore be able to take on a certain amount of debt at the corporate level um, to use however they, they decide, basically. Maybe it's expanded operations. Maybe it's just to roll over some debt that they have to pay off. Maybe it's to buy back their own stock and enrich their own executives, which has been extremely common. Regardless, they're taking on more debt. And if that bank does their due diligence, it should realize that um, even though it's rated as investment grade on the cusp of junk bond, but still technically investment grade, the bank should realize that this company is swimming in debt. It's unlikely to use those funds for good purposes. It's, uh, you know, if, if we move into a recession, I'm not talking what we're dealing with now, but, but a lighter recession, that company is at a high default risk. Therefore, they shouldn't be lending or should be lending at a much higher rate, i.e. they should be lending as though this is a junk bond or a high-yield bond, not an investment-grade bond. And yet that bank doesn't. It lends anyways. And the bank then packages that up and, and maybe they sit on it 
some of these financial institutions may sit on it, you know, and, and they'll take that profit, take that yield, or they'll distribute that risk to others. They'll package it up into various products, not unlike, you know, uh, um, subprime mortgages, you know, back, I mean, this is, this is nothing new, but they'll package it up or, or, or various financial institutions, ETFs, they'll, they'll get thrown into some ETFs, um, other investors, hedge funds, etc., will then buy that corporate debt. And now they hold that risk. And, and they know, in many cases, the, the type of risk they're taking on. They may not know the exact company all the time, if we're talking ETFs, if we're talking about it being packaged up into, you know, all they might know is that this is debt that's rated as investment grade, or it might even be debt that's rated by a specific grade of debt. In terms of the you know the whole scale from what AAA to whatever the worst is in terms of uh, of corporate debt ratings by these rating agencies, right? But they know they've taken on a lot of risk, right? And lo and behold, a huge recession comes through like a wrecking ball, and all of a sudden this company can no longer make its payments and no longer can service that debt. And it's not going to be able to roll it over either because now all of a sudden rates are much higher in the corporate bond market. Now these investors or these banks or financial institutions or hedge funds or what have you that have taken on all of this risk knowingly, in most cases, knowingly taken on this risk by buying debt from a company that has used that debt to roll over past debt, maybe to make meaningful improvements to the company, capital spending, or just buy back their own stock, enrich their stockholders, what have you. Now, those investors are out a lot of money. And I don't know, to some extent, so what? Who? I, that's that's kind of investing, right? Um, when, when, let's say you're my friend. Right, and and you say, Matt, can I borrow a hundred dollars? Um, and let's say I have a hundred dollars to spare. Hopefully, I'm the type to just say, Yeah, here's a hundred dollars. But and, and hopefully, I wouldn't ever give it to somebody that um, I think would have z- little to no chance to, to pay it back to me. It's just looking to take advantage of me, right? Uh, I don't know, maybe it'd just be generous to do that, anyways. But but let's say you're a bank and you're lending to somebody. Let's say you go to the bank right now, if, if ba- any banks are open, and you say, I want to take out a mortgage. And they say, well, let's look at your credit history. And you know their jaw drops to the floor. And they say, well, look, you've, you've been through two bankruptcies. Um, you, you carry a ton of debt right now. If anything, it looks like you're cl- moving closer and closer to another bankruptcy, right? Um, and, and your income is, well, well, you just you're out of work right now because of the coronavirus, and and you say I know I know, but I really need this house. Um, you know, if <laughs> if you're willing, if you can find somebody to lend to you, great. Um, but that that may not be the case. You might need to build up your credit. But the the reason that any let's say let's say it's not that bad. Let's say you go in and they say, well, your credit history isn't super great. You know, this mortgage that you're going to be applying for. That's good. The payment's going to be kind of high relative to your income. You know, you do have one missed payment here. You know, way back in your history, you did have a bit of a problem with this credit card, et cetera. You know, your credit history, it's just not great, right? We'll lend to you, but we're going to lend to you at 
a higher rate. Well, why are they lending to you at a higher rate? Because they're factoring in a risk of default, ultimately. I mean, ultimately, that is what, when, when anybody is lending to anybody, the, the two things that gets calculated into that interest rate is A, inflation. You know, if inflation's 5%, good luck finding a bank that's going to lend to you at anything under 5%, except for in some weird upside down world, which I think we're increasingly moving towards. But, but that makes sense, right? Why would they lend to you lend you a hundred thousand dollars that's you know affordable house based on where I'm sure many of you guys live but a hundred thousand dollars okay at four percent if inflation's five percent because they're, they're gonna lose money on that right that interest rates not even keeping up with inflation and then you add on to that the default risk what they consider to be your default risk uh, because ultimately what a bank is is concerned about or investors are concerned about, or should be concerned about, is return of capital. Capital. This is a, a good phrase uh, that, that I heard from, I think, McIlvaney Financial or Weekly Commentary recently, that, that a lot of investors these days are worried about return on capital, not return of capital. And I'll explain what that means. So, so this bank factors your interest rate. You say, well, that's a little high. And they say, well, yeah, your credit history is not great, right? And if they, they might even explain, you know, look, we're trying to factor in inflation and default risk into that. And by the way, the same is, should be true for a government, right? Whatever they're borrowing at, that's, that's why that interest rate is the way that it is. But anyways, um, so you say, all right, that's fine. Okay. Um, well, this, this then gets packaged up and potentially an investor buys it in, in the form of some sort of mortgage-backed thing, you know, just like subprime mortgages back in the day. Uh so what happens, though, is that when it comes to corporate debt and when it comes to you know, mortgage debt, whatever, and I know I'm mixing the two together here. We're still on the topic of corporate debt. The, the problem with this is that investors oftentimes are looking at you know, corporate debt. They say that this is, you know, this is just barely junk bond status, but it's still fairly highly rated or it's just... You know, it's investment grade, even though it's on the cusp of junk bond, whatever. Um, but they look at the interest rate and they say, look, that interest rate is pretty good relative to inflation or what they believe inflation is, which is they would think it would be pretty low. And I'm willing to take on that that interest rate or that yield um, because I'm looking for a good return on my investment, right? Let's say you have 100000 and and you see a yield out there of 8%, you know, you're going to jump on that. But of course, with a 8% yield comes risk, or in theory, it should. Investors, as I said before, investors oftentimes right now are looking for, or maybe not right now, but a month ago, are looking for return on capital. What is that number right next to that percent sign? What is my return on that? What they're not considering is that return of capital, meaning well, what if that risk is realized? What if that borrower defaults? In theory, if everybody's being lent to at a you know, 8%, 10%, whatever interest rate, I'm, I'm just throwing numbers out there. It could be whatever. In theory, some of them should default. It should be less common for lower and lower interest rate groups, but it should happen from time to time. That's the risk that you are taking on with, with a given yield. 
right? And so that these investors that are looking for a return on capital, not return of capital, go into these corporate bond markets. They buy up some sort of an asset that is linked to corporate bonds because they want that return on capital. Well, guess what? We get one of the biggest crashes in the economy in the history of the United States. I mean, people are, are estimating that quarter one, quarter two GDP is going to be worse than the depth of the Great Depression, worse than, you know, in terms of decline, worse than uh, the Civil War here in the United States. Well, they took on that risk. That risk, even though it's a massive recession now, that risk should have been factored, factored into the interest rate, the yield. And, and if they're out money, well, I mean, that's, that's business. That's how it works. Unless you're the Federal Reserve and you're going to step in and buy those bonds, buy those securities, and bail them out. Do you understand the corruption in here? Okay, so, so that's just, I mean, that's one aside that took me, what, like 10 minutes to go on um, in terms of what the Fed is doing here in terms of bailing out the corporate bond market and why it's so much different than just bailing out the federal government or just bailing out mortgage-backed securities, which in and of themselves I think are pretty uh, corrupt and, and, and definitely create some, some difficult moral and, and ethical situations. Right, The term moral hazard gets thrown around a lot. Uh, but, but again, what the Fed is doing right now is, is unprecedented. If, if I still have anybody with me still after that, that long rabbit trail of, of <laughs> bailing out corporate bond purchasers. Uh, what, we're ha- what we're seeing right now is unprecedented. What the Fed is doing right now is directly linked to this massive bubble economy that was present a month ago, two months ago, and is not linked to the pin that popped the bubble, i.e. COVID-19. The two are, are separate. I, yes, COVID-19 is sending a lot of people home from work. A lot of people aren't traveling. Airlines, cruise ships, hospitality industries, restaurants, those are all struggling. I get that. The duration thus far has been short. And I get it. The duration can be much, much longer. A lot of these companies are worried. Not saying I'm in favor, but, but, but the federal government has options. State governments have options for those companies. Right? I'm not a, certainly I'm not in favor of any bailout at this point in time, but they're probably going to come. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, a huge fan of, of the federal government always stepping in to, to lend to such and such, even if it's, you know, small business, whatever. It's, it's just a bad precedence, right? And oftentimes I think those types of things cover for the government also bailing out the big guy. But, but okay, those things are all going to happen. Then why does the Fed have to act in such an unprecedented way? In fact, yesterday uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, from Macro Voices, uh, Eric Townsend. Excellent podcast, excellent um, episode. Uh, Eric was one of the few guys who early on called this and, and said this is huge, this coronavirus business back in early February. Uh, and, and, and in this one, he was interviewing Luke uh, Groman. And, and it's a great podcast. I suggest you, you tune into it. Maybe stop mine right now and find it or, or once I'm down here. And, and Luke Grumman you know, made it the point that right now the Fed is basically increasing their balance sheet at a pace, you know, if you're annualizing this, of $34 trillion. That's nuts. $34 trillion. Now, are they going to make it to $34 trillion in the next year? Uh, probably not. But... In the next two years, 
three years? I I would say probably. I mean, those types of predictions sounded outlandish not all that long ago. And yet I and many others were still willing to, to make those because we knew that one way or another this bubble was going to blow up. We didn't know the cause, and, and certainly I don't think anybody expected it to be a pandemic, but we expected it to happen because the bubble existed prior to any of this this pin coming around, this pin that is the coronavirus, COVID-19, right? And so back in the day, there were many commentators out there, not just myself, making predictions that in the next crisis, the Fed's going to have to increase their balance sheet by just boatloads, Right? That QE1, 2, and 3 are going to pale in comparison to QE4 and or 5, whatever you want to consider what's going on right now. Pale in comparison to that. We're talking many, many trillions, tens of trillions potentially. And additionally, we also mentioned that, you know, the U.S. debt picture, which had been increasing already pretty fast before all this, at least a trillion a year, between a trillion and a trillion and a half a year, that that was ultimately going to blow up. Why? Because of, of two problems. When we move into the next recession, the government's going to be like, well, we better bail things out. And and like we did last time, it, it seemed to have worked. And so let's throw a couple trillion dollars at the problem, which by the way, is going to go maybe not straight to the Fed balance sheet, but but one way or another, it will. The Fed's going to monetize that debt. But in, in addition to that, they're going to have reduced revenue for quite a while, and they're conti- they're going to continue to spend for a while, right? And so people are making outlandish predictions of, of you know the, the U.S. debt by twenty you know pick a year twenty twenty one twenty twenty two of thirty trillion dollars. But actually, that sounds like that could definitely be the case at this point in time. Maybe you know by twenty twenty two thirty trillion. But but you know according to the U.S. debt clock. We're over $23.5 trillion right now. You add in, a, a, what, 2 maybe $3 trillion right now in terms of stimulus, add in another trillion later on, that's $4 trillion in spending. Add on to that maybe another trillion in decreased revenues. You're at $5 trillion in addition to the $1.5 trillion you're already at, $6.5 trillion. Right? What's $6.5 trillion plus $23.5 trillion? $30 trillion. Right? And it might not quite meet that number, but you, you get my point here. This is nuts. This is unprecedented. This is bigger than what's going on with this coronavirus business. A healthy economy, a healthy financial system should be able to weather a storm such as this. It wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, people lose their jobs for a while. They'd lose their house. It'd take a while to get things back to normal. But they probably would return to normal with the exception of, you know, society and, and the whole change to society because of, of a pandemic. And in and and, and that sense, it might not be quite normal afterwards. I don't know. But in terms of the financial system, the economy, it'd be a big bump. It'd be a big recession. We'd get back to it. What's happening right now is a financial system in the global sense that is on the brink of collapse. And I mean that in the realist sense. The Fed does not do what they're doing right now unless they are worried about a complete and utter failure of the financial system. As many as many have opined, I wouldn't be surprised to say or to, to, to find out that a a bank or a series of banks have been on the brink of collapse here, even before all this business started a month ago, 
and this has you know unwound their balance sheet even further, unwound their their bets and uh, derivative bets on, in many cases, and that you know they are basically essentially the Walking Dead and going to collapse any day now. Deutsche Bank would you know be at the top of that list, but many other European banks or even U.S. banks that could fall into that category, right? I wouldn't be surprised to find out that news whatsoever. What the Fed is doing right now is is not trying to soften the blow from this this recession or this depression that we're going to be dealing with for a while now. Uh, what the Fed is doing right now is a last-ditch attempt to prop up the stock market because the stock market is hugely important for the economy because of how many people spend based on the wealth, uh, quote-unquote, created through the stock market. But they're also doing their very best to prop up the financial system to prevent this whole thing from collapsing. Well, Matt, where does this end? Great question. I think that's a question we need to be asking because I think it's it's all too easy right now to look short term to say, well, this is going to go away, right? Well, COVID nineteen is going to more or less go away eventually. It's going to be marginalized. It's going to be sidelined. It's not going to be as serious. We're going to figure out a way to handle it one way or another, I hope. Hopefully it's not through just straight up herd immunity, but maybe. And if it is herd immunity, hopefully it happens over a long period of time. But that's that's a possibility. Okay. However, what we need to understand, what we need to do is look beyond just the next couple months. What does the Fed do after the next couple months? I mean, what they do over the next couple months is going to be pretty big. But what happens after that? What I don't think happens is that they undo everything they've done over those series of months. They don't unwind their balance sheet to the tune of trillions of dollars. They don't remove that liquidity from the system. That's there for good, for all intents and purposes. It's not going anywhere. And in fact... I don't think the Fed is going to stop what they're doing. They're going to continue to increase their balance sheet. They're going to monetize more and more debt, provide more and more liquidity to the financial system. They're going to, you know, again, going back to that podcast yesterday from Macro Voices with Luke Roman, they're going to buy up every form of debt, every type of asset that they can. They're going to monetize it all. They're going to buy a whole boatload of federal debt, but they're going to probably buy a lot of corporate debt as well, a lot of mortgage and consumer debt. In addition to that, there's a potential that they start buying stocks too. I don't know. It's a crazy world, but I think it's going to happen eventually. You're going to see their balance sheet balloon over $10 trillion, $15 trillion. I don't know how high it's going to go, but it's going to go higher and higher. And, and that's sort of the end of the story. They're just going to monetize everything. Oh, and by the way, the side effect of, of printing 10 trillions of dollars, tens of trillions, do you want to take a guess as to what the side effect of that is? It's, well, it's inflation. That's going to be the main side effect is inflation. You can't just print trillions willy-nilly, buy up all this debt and... All your problems go away. Instead, you'll be staring down maybe the biggest problem we have to face, maybe short of this pandemic. But even then, I'm not entirely convinced of that because of the the uh, the risk that inflation poses to an economy. The inflation is can be hugely damaging to an economy, to a society. Right. In addition to that, you're going to see further, you know, 
strange moves in markets. You'll see, you know, inflation very high, but but treasury bonds trading significantly below inflation because the Fed will have monetized the entire market. You know, you'll see other th- weird things like that. Um, but but the main side effect of that is going to be inflation. And so you have to understand that right now it sounds great to have a check sent to every household. Sounds great for the U.S. government to bail out these businesses, both large and small, to to prop up the economy. Sounds great for the Fed to monetize everything, to prop up the financial system. Hey, at least my 401k is going to get a bit of a boost from this. But you have to understand the long-term side effect of that. I wouldn't even say side effect. I mean, side effect is saying like, oh, it's, it's unintended. It's just something that accidentally happens along the way. The long-term consequences of that is inflation, high inflation. That's going to be far more damaging to your 401k, far more damaging to your standard of living, your way of life, the American way of life, the Western way of life, whatever you want to define that as, I don't know, far more damaging than you know a 30% drop in the stock market or a couple weeks, even a month or two off from work because of a pandemic. That's what's coming ultimately. Can't tell you when, but certainly this whole coronavirus business has accelerated the timeline on this, compressed the timeline hugely. So remember, it's it's not the coronavirus here, guys. That's just the pin that popped the bubble that was massive to begin with begin with as always i'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and god bless